As we go into this series, as we go into this series today, the power of generous. Now, I know grammatically we wanted to say the power of generosity, but I just wanted to focus on that spirit, that, that word. I wanted to hone in on generous. We're transitioning this week out of a series where we ask the question, is this the end? Is COVID-19 a sign of the end of times? Is, is a, uh, the loss of change in currency a sign of the one world currency? And, and we spent a few weeks explaining what we believe about the days in which we live. And all of those messages are on our YouTube channel. You can go subscribe to New Hope Eunice on our YouTube channel. They're all on our website, EuniceChurch.com. And I want to transition, with that in mind, I want to transition back to a passage where Jesus was answering this question, Luke chapter 21. I believe that verse 19 is possibly the most powerful six words um, outside of salvation in and of itself. This could be one of the most revelational six words that God has ever shown me personally in his word he says in verse 19 by your patience possess your soul that means that every time that I lose my patience I subject my soul and Jesus is warning in the last days, in the worst of times and answering the question is this the end what will be the sign he says, hey, that whole do not worry still applies. By your patience, possess your soul. We call that endure. He had told his disciples in Matthew 24, those who endure till the end shall be saved. Anybody can endure when everything's going well. But by your patience, possess your soul. He then says in verse 36, Luke 21, Watch, like it's okay to look around. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. So he told us, hear me, that we were called to endure because we were created to escape. You need to remember that as we move forward and discuss the power of generous today. We were called as God's people. I don't just have a, a call on my life. You have a call on your life. I may get paid to do vocational ministry, but you get paid to do marketplace ministry. You get paid to go places and to meet people that I'm not going to meet just coming and being institutionalized with people who wanted to be at church. Come on. God puts you around people don't want to be at church. But you are the church and they have to be around you whether they like it or not. He called you just as much as he's called me. That's why this ministry doesn't revolve around a man. It revolves around the spirit within the man. And what God is doing, let no man do against or come against or separate or break down or divide. You are called to endure because you were created to escape. I want to take some excerpts today from a message that I preached two and a half years ago called Hell is Not For You. 
hell is not for you. Now, I'm going to give you a disclaimer. The first half of this message is going to be a little tough. It's the disclaimer that LSU should have given us in the second half of their performance yesterday. Um, <laughs> too soon, maybe? Just a... Uh, I didn't, yeah, so anyways, uh, that's the disclaimer. It's going to be a little difficult. Listen, I believe that this was a tough message for Jesus. Um, I, I don't believe that he just liked telling people about hell. In fact, it's not my objective to scare you out of hell today or to scare it out of you. Okay, that's not the, that's not the objective of the morning. The objective is the, of the morning is to cause you to understand the significance of surrendering into heaven not being scared out of hell. And uh, on this day following Hallow's Eve, um, that just so happens to be three days before the election that seems like it's from not heaven. Uh, I'm going to preach this message because Jesus preached this message 33 times in three years. Um, if I were going to adequately communicate in my tenure of ministry or how often I, I have an opportunity to speak, if I were going to adequately communicate the way that Jesus communicated on this place of eternal separation, then I would have to preach on hell once a month or do a 12-week series once a year to equal how many times Jesus mentioned it. See, why did Jesus? Because that passage that we read in the series in 2 Peter chapter 3, in regards to the last days, the Bible says that it is God's will, it is Jesus' will, that none should perish, that none should go to hell, but that all would repent. So he's being patient that people would repent. So Jesus preached on hell because he didn't want people to go there. Okay, that is compassion that Jesus would preach on this place of eternal separation. It's not condemnation to preach on hell or to tell people about hell or to tell people that they're living like they're headed to hell. It, that's not condemnation unless you make it condemnation, unless you're condemnational. Now, you should tell people the truth and cover it in grace, season it with salt so that it's palatable. Do it with gentleness and meekness and love. And if you're not doing that, then you're going to choke people with what God wanted to feed people with. You need to be careful the way that you present something. But listen to me, it's not condemnation to speak the truth. It's actually condemnation to not speak the truth. So if I don't tell you about this place, honestly, I'm actually condemning you to it subconsciously or inadvertently. And that's why Jesus spoke on this place the way that he did. It's why the Bible speaks of hell 166 times. It's why God was very adamant in communicating. Why? Because if we don't believe in hell, hear me, we can't believe in heaven because the same Bible tells us about both. And we don't get to pick and choose what we do and don't believe about what God said. Now, there's a lot of different views that in regards to hell, the first view in regards to hell would be atheism. An atheist is a person that doesn't believe in God. And when an atheist tells me, well, listen, that's good for you, but I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. And I will say, well, I don't believe in atheism. Because in order to be an atheist, you would have to assume that we as, as people on this earth, we know all things. 
But scientifically, which is normally what the atheists will put their faith in over the scripture that actually equals and matches science, scientifically, we understand that the human brain can really only compute, gather, store, and understand about 2% of everything that the universe has to offer. And there's a lot of things that we still don't even know. So I'm going to go ahead and put my faith in the 98% that you're probably wrong about God and I don't believe in atheism. That's just kind of how I flow with that. Now, if we do believe in God, then we have to believe in the heaven that God preached about and the hell that God preached about. Otherwise, we fall into this trap of this universal reconciliation or, or maybe this idea of annihilationism that you just pass from this life into the next and, you, and, and possibly if you go to heaven, then great. But if you go to hell or if you, if you don't go to heaven, you just cease to exist. Okay, again, it's unbiblical. There's another idea that ultimately everyone will be reconciled. And if you don't go to heaven, then hell is just a holding place where you're purified. Now, the problem with those ideas is that they're still unbiblical. Again, because the same Bible preaches both. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. It's not in your notes. It says, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's what the Bible says. And it's not condemnational that I share that with you. It's actually out of compassion that I want you to know that everyone doesn't make it. Everybody's called and everybody was created. But what God calls us to and what God created us for is not overwhelmed by what we choose to be. Well, why did God, put a why did God even give us a choice? Because robots can't love. And we were created to be loved and to love a holy heavenly father that has a place for us. Now, if you'll flip back in the scripture just a few chapters, we're going to read from Luke chapter 19 today. Jesus told parables and Jesus spoke in similes. He, he gave examples. He would, he would speak, there was a rich man or there, there was a king or there was a lady. There was a mother. He has all these examples and all these illustrations. But this story is different. Luke chapter 16 I don't believe that this is a, a parable or a story or a metaphor. I believe that this is a testimony. I believe this is something that happened. And Jesus is warning us because he does not wish that any would perish. Let's read in verse 19 of chapter 16. The Bible says there was a certain rich man who was clothed in LSU colors. Now, I don't know why in the world... I'm just saying, that's in scripture. I didn't write that today. I didn't add that. That was already there. But he was clothed in purple and fine linen. I'm sure it was probably the Minnesota Twins and not LSU that the Bible was referencing in this passage. Um, fine lin linen and fared sumptuously. Okay, you understand, sumptuously, it means extravagantly. Um, he fared excessively. In other words, it was okay that he was fed, it was okay that he had nice things, but he operated in excess incessantly. And hear me, excess of almost anything outside of the Spirit of God itself, excess of almost anything is sin for everything. In other words, like it's not, 
sin that you would have a desire to have a companion. It's an excess of that desire. That Do I need to explain that this morning? Or were you, okay, I, I get what he's trying to say. In fact, it's not a sin that you would have food. Let me just go there for a minute. <laughs> it, it is a sin that you would begin to become excessively unhealthy because of the, I, it may now listen I'm a teetotaler okay I'm, which means like I, I, I abstain from from all of it but for you to have a glass of wine you know you better be careful because we define drunk as 0.08 but for you to have a glass of wine biblically it's hard to prove that's sin but for you to get drunk is absolutely, undeniably, unacceptable according to God's word. Again, .08, don't take much. So you're flirting with disaster every time that you go into that. I just want you to understand that it's, it's, it becomes sin when it becomes sumptuous. And we continue, verse 20, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. And he was full of sores, and he was laid at the gate, verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, I also want to caution, we got to be careful right here, because if we're not careful, we will take the excess of the rich man and apply it to the lack of investment by a poor man. You need to understand that Lazarus wasn't a beggar um, because he had other opportunities. He was a beggar because he was disabled and he had no other ability. He wasn't a beggar because he wasn't helping himself. And that's why we can't take one verse out of Scripture, make it out of context, because we also understand that Paul said, hey, if you don't work, then you don't eat. And we live in America, which is still the land of opportunity. So you don't get to not take advantage of the opportunity that you have and become entitled when you're not willing to invest. And that's just, that's just good philosophy, number one, but I also believe it to be biblical. And so we can't confuse one Scripture out of the context of the entire word of God. Verse 22 says, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now that's a reference to heaven. That's a reference to the place where God is. Remember, heaven is just a holding place. You remember that from the Is This the End series? Heaven and earth shall pass away. The heaven and earth that we know is nothing more than a holding place for the righteous in Christ, and hell is nothing but a holding place for the wicked dead. At this time, the rich man also died, and they packed up a U-Haul, and it all followed him to the cemetery. And as he was put in the ground, all of his stuff went up in the air so that he could have it for all. No, that's not what it says. No, no, no. You need to understand that his junk is dirt. In this story, like there's not a storage unit for the rich man's stuff. It's gone. All of the things that he found substance in. Those little green pieces of paper that meant so much to him. Those gold coins. Those financial statements. And all the material possessions that he attained throughout his life. As a person of opportunity and favor. It was buried. It was buried too. Verse 23. Being in torment. 
in Hades, or the holding place called hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I believe that this was an exception to the generalization, and I'll explain why in just a minute. For some reason in this story, God allowed this rich man to see across this great divide and into the place that he could not be for all of eternity. Abraham, uh, the, I'm sorry, let me pick up where I left off there. Lazarus' bosom, jump with me to verse 24. He cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger, just the tip of his finger, and cool my tongue for I, again, am tormented in this flame. We'll come back to that, verse 25. But Abraham said, America... Remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. Now, most of us, because we have a poverty mentality, because we don't understand what true poverty is. See, poverty is not that you don't have what everybody else has. See, you're actually in the top 3% of the world's wealthiest people. The world's wealthiest people. If you drove here today and you have running water and electricity to go home to, just because, you don't, just because you have a poverty mentality doesn't mean that you actually operate in true poverty. See, we are actually as blessed and favored with more resource than any nation has ever had before, generally as a people. And just because you don't have as much as what you're comparing to doesn't mean that you don't have what God has given you to be used for the sake of his kingdom and not your own personal gain. He says, son... Daughter, I believe that this is a prophetic passage for people in the United States of America who have more opportunity and more resource, but at the same time are living just like this rich man. See, you need to understand that in the times that Jesus said this, every one of you would be considered rich compared to the people that he was talking to. I'm not rich. No, no, no. Put it in the proper context. See, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that none of your children have ever walked out of their mud hut, urinated on the ground, packed it up like a pie, and eaten it because you hadn't had any food in the last year. That's poverty. We are not impoverished. We're spoiled. And we have to be careful not to put ourselves in this passage and go, see, the CEO should have been paying us as much money as he was making. No, no, no. Make sure that the Holy Spirit uses his word to reflect what he wants to say to you. And you don't wor use his word as a mirror to deflect on what you want somebody else to hear. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Son, remember that your lifetime you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus received evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. That's the third time we've seen that word. Verse 26, besides all this, between us and you, there is no purgatory. Just go ahead and go there today. This is a biblical passage, okay? I'm not mad at somebody that does or does not believe one way or another. But I fear for what I believe to be unbiblical doctrine. The Bible says nothing about there being a place of purification between this life and the next. It says there is a great gulf that is fixed. 
Jesus didn't unfix the gulf after he said this. It is a concerning idea that you're going to have time after this life. There's a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass. Now listen to me. Before you get offended at what I'm saying, let's make sure that what I'm not saying does or does not line up with Scripture. Let's make sure that what we've been taught our entire lives actually lines up with God's Word for our eternal lives. Those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from there. Verse 27, then he said, I beg you, the king says, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, I want you to remember the five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also have to come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have God's word. They have the Bible, they have the scriptures, they have the words of Moses, they have the words of the prophets under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Let them hear them. And, they, and he said, no. It seems like he would have learned to stop saying that by now. No, 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 no. If one goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. Remember, Jesus is telling this story. He said to them, if they do not hear what God has already said, neither will they be persuaded, though I raise myself from the dead and come tell them. This passage ends all debate on the existence of hell. This story or testimony that Jesus tells Ruins any idea about the lack of a place of eternal separation from God. Number one, and I only have two points, take a deep breath. I want to describe to you the punishment of greed. This is the punishment of greed. It is eternal separation from a father of generosity. In this place called hell... I want to describe some of the characteristics of hell. It is a place of absolute darkness. Now, I start out with this one because I said, again, it seems like in this story, for some reason, there was a, a measure of grace given to the rich man that he could see across the great gulf and see where he could not go, even though he was still surrounded by darkness in the place in which he existed. Matthew 22, verse 13 says, The king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First John 1 John 1.5 says God is light. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Even though the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters, the light had not yet burst forth across the earth. It was not until day four that the sun and the moon and the stars were created. So what was the light that was spoken into existence on the first day of creation? It was the presence of God resonating across the face of the earth. And where there is no light... There is absolute darkness. See, science is actually beginning to catch up with Scripture. Because light, listen, 
Light is not the absence of darkness. Like it's not bright in here because we don't have darkness. It's bright in here because we do have light. See, darkness is the absence of light. So where there is no light, there is absolute darkness. Because where there is light, there is no darkness. Are you with me? So hell is a place of absolute darkness. Hell is a place of excruciating heat. I'm not talking about South Louisiana humidity type heat. I'm talking about, that's why the old Bible beaters every time, whoo, it's, it's hot out here. Well, you're going to a place that is, no, 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 don't take advantage of that opportunity, okay? Hell is a place of excruciating heat. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, cowards, unbelievers, corrupt politicians and pastors and people, murderers, immoral, Hang on to that one for a second. Those who practice witchcraft. It's interesting to me that Jesus in the book of Revelation would put immoral people, um, promiscuous people, inappropriate image type people, inappropriate attire type people. Premarital type people, extramarital type people. The immoral acceptance in this nation may be American, but it's not biblical. He put the immoral in the same passage as those who practice witchcraft, those who testify. And we look and we go, oh man, I would never worship the devil. But you did it in the backseat of somebody else's vehicle and you were perfectly okay with it. I done gone there today. <laughs> See, God doesn't separate sin from sin. He separates sin from holiness. And without holiness, the scripture still remains true. No man shall see the Lord. Immoral. Practicers of witchcraft, idol worshipers, all liars. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The first death is passing from this life into the next. The second death is being cast into the eternal lake of fire. And let's leave burning sulfur up there for just a second. Sulfur is interesting. It has a certain scent when it's set on fire. It's worse than rubber. It's worse than that little bag that was placed on your front porch. Maybe nobody's done that to you recently. Maybe that was just my generation. Sulfur, the description of burning sulfur is probably likened unto setting rotten eggs on fire and sticking your nose over it. It's, it's, it's similar to setting sewage fumes on fire and standing over the top and just breathing that in. Um, in growing marijuana, burning sulfur is used to remove the mold. Now, I don't know how many things they burnt before they found that sulfur did that, but hey, when you're high, anything goes, right? I always wondered how many plants they smoked before they found that one. It was like, oh, this works. <laughs> what happened? All right, anyways, I'm back. Sulfur burns 
at over 200 degrees Fahrenheit. That is the burning temperature of sulfur. What's interesting about sulfur is when it burns, it actually begins to release particles into the air. Okay, so when you're smelling this burnt, rotten egg of excruciating 200 degree Fahrenheit heat, at the same time, it's being released up into the air, and at any point, it could spontaneously combust and explode all around you. And that's what's happening in this place called hell. Mark chapter 9 verse 44 says, this is a place where the worm never dies. And the fire is never quenched. The Bible actually calls hell a place of fire over 32 times and 19 of those were Jesus. Hell is a place of unsatisfied desires. And unending torment. Hell is a place of no rest. Hell is a place of no relief. Revelation Chapter 9, it says that the fifth angel had the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So hell is a place of no substance, of no fulfillment, of no solidarity. You know when you're falling asleep at night and you do the... You know what I'm talking about. Okay, imagine that at all times for all eternity. Because you don't wake up and realize that you have a foundation. Because remember, without a foundation in Christ, you have no foundation at all. So it is a place of all forsaken torment in this fallen state of existence at all times. It says that the smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace and the sunlight and the air were darkened because of the smoke. Revelation 14, 11 says it was that smoke of their torment. So you're burning and smoking, but you're never consumed. And it will rise forever and ever and they will have no relief. There's no rest. There's no relief. Day or night. For they have worshipped the beast. See, your faith can always be found in your worship. Now the good news is, we still have time to learn how to worship. And I'm not talking about in a set list. I'm talking about as a lifestyle. This is the place where you practice so that you can go out there and live it out. This is the time where you practice worshiping because that's what, not what you're going to do for all of eternity, but what you're going to become for all of eternity. And the difference was in those who worshiped God with their lifestyle and those who worshiped the American dream, the beast. Um, isn't it interesting? that the thing that would be used to determine who would or would not live for God in the last days. Hey, listen in. If you didn't hear anything else up to this point, hear this. What, what would be used to determine who does and does not live for God in the last days is what we put the most faith in and what we get most offended by, which is the ability to buy and sell when preachers ask for money. Or when God asks us to give. Maybe it's not in church in an offering. Maybe it's to somebody that will never be able to pay you back. And that is the thing that designated the worship of the beast. And his statue and the accepting of the mark. Luke 16, 24. The rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
and send Lazarus. Just let him dip the tip of his finger in the water because I'm in this 200 degree Fahrenheit heat. I'm falling for all eternity because I was fallen on earth and I didn't realize that I had an answer for my eternity. Would you just let him dip his finger in the water and let it drip on my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. In this fire hot enough to melt metal. I am tormented in this pain that is more acute than any disease that could have ever come to pass in this life. I am tormented by this torture that is greater than any rack that could have been created or invented in medieval times or any cross that the Romans could have put any person on. I am miserable in this unstable, unfulfilling, unquenchable anxiety as I am fallen in this bottomless pit with no hope whatsoever. And one huge regret for all eternity. That all I had to do was receive salvation and follow Jesus while I was on earth. But it's too late. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is appointed unto a man once to die and then the judgment. There's a great fixed gulf in between that no man, woman, or child can pass. I miss this in being caught up and grateful for being appreciated, but I need you to understand that your last breath on earth is your last chance for eternity. There is no second chance and there is no payment for any ritual or activity to get you into the next place. That is it. Matthew 25, 41 says, The king will turn to those on the left. Remember, Matthew 25 comes right after the passage on the last days that we went through in Matthew 24. In Matthew 25, Jesus explains the difference between those who are saved and those who are forsaken. And in that passage, I don't have time to go there, he uses gratitude and generosity as the difference between the sheep and the goat. He uses a spirit of serving that flows from a spirit that's been saved. See, you don't serve, you don't serve to be saved. You serve because you are saved. Because selfishness and salvation can't coexist in harmony. It's like Jesus and sin. You can't stay in it. You try to be okay, but you're not. Because he won't leave you alone. Because you know that what you've been doing is not what he paid for you to continue to do. And you can hear every sermon on grace and forgiveness and mercy, but you still leave that place knowing that you've got to surrender. And you need to crucify your flesh as Jesus allowed his to be crucified. It says, away 
with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. See, hell is not for you. God didn't create you to send you to hell. In fact, Isaiah chapter 5 says that hell had to be expanded because Jesus did not prepare, prepare hell for you, but Jesus prepared heaven for you. Watch what he says. Watch his word. Number two, I told you about the punishment of greed. I want to close today on the power of generous. And I want you to remember this. Every time the Holy Spirit pricks your heart to give. In a, in a service, sure. I'm talking more about in society. I'm talking more about of yourself. The power of generous. What is the power of generous? What does it matter if I give? Well, you all know the scripture, but it's been thrown around so much that we've taken it for granted instead of appreciating this passage the way that we were appreciated this morning just as people. See, the power of generosity is that for God so loved the world that he gave. And his generosity, come on, it broke the curse of that addiction. It broke the curse of that lust. It broke the curse of that selfishness. It broke the curse of that envy. It broke the curse of that greed. It broke the curse of that anxiety. It broke the curse of that disobedience. So you may have been that way, but baby, you don't get to stay that way because God gave. You now have an offering that you don't deserve and you get to pay the debt that you could have never paid. That is the power of generous. That every time you give a cup of water to the least of these, if Jesus recognized the power of a cup of water to the least of these, what do you think he'll do with your tithe? What do you think he'll do with your offering above and beyond what he's already required? What do you think he'll do with your time outside of this sanctuary? It's just a cup of water. Jesus recognized. What can he do with a life that is willing to be poured out like a drink offering? Imagine the families that can be restored. Imagine the civilizations that can be won for the sake of the gospel. If God's people truly understand the power of generous and the concern of the rich man, go tell him. Let me go tell him. Let me go tell him. It's too late for you to tell him. I'm going to send somebody else. So you are now without excuse because you are the five brothers. You've heard. You get to choose. Jesus or yourself relationship or unrest and the choice is yours hear the concern of Jesus it is in compassion that he preaches this message John 14 verse 1 don't let your hearts be troubled come on this is not a message of condemnation this is a message of compassion Trust in God, trust also in me, says the Lord. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. There is more than enough room in the presence of a holy and righteous God. I am going to prepare a place for you. It's actually asked as a question, am I not? 
Do you not believe that I'm going to prepare a place for you? That place is not called hell. Come on. That place is the joy and the peace that can only be found in the presence of a holy, heavenly Father. That's what Jesus is preparing for you. You weren't created for hell. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Verse 4 says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And the disciples say, no, we don't. We don't know, God. We don't know. We don't know what to do with all that's happening around us. Who's going to get elected? What are we going to do? I don't know. We don't know what to do. And then Thomas says, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know? Now, if I were Jesus, I'd have slapped him. Because Jesus, at this point, he has been saying this for 13 chapters. He has invested. You still don't know? Really? By the way, that's how preachers feel every week. I just said don't do that. I just said it. We want to resign most Monday mornings. I'm just confessing out loud. Now, we preach our guts out. Go home, read your Facebook. Like, what are they listening to? Fortunate for you, Jesus was not me. Jesus said, I am, I have always been, and I will always be in 2020, 21, or however else longer I decide to withhold this moment out of patience for people to repent. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life that you don't have to wait until eternity to begin living. I've already laid mine down so that yours could be raised up. But no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, if you don't receive me and remain in me, then you can't go where I'm going and you can't be where I am. I want you to see Jesus on the cross. Arms extended and eyes lifted up to heaven. Hell is a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And in this moment, God's only son yelled in his native language, Elo, Elo, Lama Sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is what people don't understand. In this place of eternal separation. See, Jesus already yelled that so that you never have to. He, he endured the cross so that we could escape. He's called us to endure in this life so that we can escape what he's already paid for us to escape. See, Jesus's generosity paid for my greed. Jesus' generosity 
paid for my attitude. Jesus' generosity paid for my lack of consistency. It was because he gave that I get to give. It was because he gave that I get to serve. It was because he gave that I get to meet a group of people in Eunice, Louisiana that are transforming a community for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because he gave. I get to. I don't have to. (laughs) It's not a sacrifice. It's a joy. The Bible says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher. Who for the joy of the cross endured. He's just calling us to do the same thing. Hell is not for you. He is. Will you receive him in this life? Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me, Father? For those in this room who are following you, I pray that we would increase our urgency. For those of us who are confident of who we are in Christ, I pray that we would live that confidence out in society when the atmosphere is not as conducive. But God, right now, for anybody in this room who is separated from you, if you're not confident of who you are in Christ, I I want you to listen with the ears of your spirit right now. I want you to hear this. I love what Pastor Greg Laurie said with Harvest Ministries. He said, God loved you so much. He didn't create hell for you. In fact, he sent his son And the only way that you get to go there is if you step over the dead body of Jesus to get there. And Jesus was resurrected so that you could be born again, so that you could be saved, so that you could be in relationship with God right now. And you could walk out of here confident of who you are in Him. If that's you, I'm not trying to scare you out of hell. I'm trying to call you to surrender to what you were created for, which is heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, right now, right now, if the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart to receive salvation today, I want you to open your hands right where you are. If you're in in here or you're watching online, I want to invite you just to position yourself in a posture of worship to receive that free gift of Jesus' generosity. If you need to commit or recommit your life to Jesus right now, the Bible says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. So I want to invite you right now to do that. If that's you, church, I want to invite you to support anybody that needs to pray this prayer. I want to ask you to pray loud so they'll pray out loud. Come on, let's pray this together. Jesus, forgive me where I'm fallen. Save me from the world, the enemy, and myself. I've been disobedient, distracted, greedy. That's sin. You died on the cross to pay for my sin but you were raised 
from the dead so I could live. I can be generous as you are. Take my life as an offering. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on with all of heaven. Can you praise God today? I'm not that good, but he is. One final plea before you go and we pray you out of here. Jesus said, no greater love have any man than this. I told you that. There are men and women who have laid down their lives and they're still serving with their lives for you to live in America, a land of the home, the free, the brave, a place where you can pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Get off of your behind on Tuesday. We're just going to say it as it is. Because there are people who paid for you to have the right to stand in line no matter how long it is. And cast a biblical conviction as a voting ballot when you stand in front of that poll. If you haven't already gone, I'm telling you, go. Go and show up and let's see what else God has in store for this great, great nation. Hey, God bless.